So, okay, meeting is called to order. And um, Danny, would you read the um, public notice, please? I sure will. Um, thank you. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everybody to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, staff may mute or unmute people as necessary just to minimize the distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera on or off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For purposes of this public meeting, when you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you're not participating in the meeting, it is okay to turn your video off. You'll still be able to listen to the meeting when the video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will help make sure that the active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, staff may turn someone's video off if they are not actively participating as to avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn the video back on. Board members and city staff members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. All motions will need it to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on the board members individually to provide their vote. Madam Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of the screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom corner of their bottom right hand corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order in which they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff pr present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols, and the regular three-minute time limit will apply. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Okay. Um, I'm going to call uh, the roll so that we will see who uh, members of AHAB are here. Uh, Rebecca Buford. Present. Sarah Waters. Here. Christina Gentry. Here. Thomas Allen. Erica Zimmerman. Dana Ortiz, Shannon Ori, present. Um, Ron Gaches, present. Thomas Howe, here. Um, Monty Soko, Monty is not here. Trent Santi, here. Shannon Reed. Not here, and I am present. We do have a quorum, and I'm Edith Guffey. I'm vice chair of the board. Um, 
some of you will recall that Monty, uh, when I was elected vice chair, I said I would serve if Monty promised he would be here for every meeting. I want it noted that Monty has broken his promise. He is away uh, at a work, uh, work responsibility today. Leah is with us. She is not uh, feeling well today, but she will be resourcing our meeting. That is why she is not on camera. Uh, we have a quorum, so we will proceed with our meeting. If, is there any public comment? Is there anyone in the building, in the uh, office there? Good morning, Jeff Craig, Plain Development Services. There's no one in the city commission room this morning. Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. There's no one that's indicated online that they have public comment either. Thank you. And we will proceed to approve the minutes. There are a motion to approve the minutes of the May 9th meeting. Madam Chair. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I move approval of the May minutes. Thank Madam you, Ryan. Is there a second? Thomas Howe, Lawrence Board of Realtors Representative, second. Thank you. Any discussion? Okay, uh, all in favor, let's say uh, Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Christina Gentry. Aye. Erica Zimmer, oh, Erica's not here. Uh, Dana Ortiz. Here. Shannon Aury. Yes. Ron, oh, Ron Gaches, yes. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Trent Santi. Yes. Shannon Reed. Present. And I vote yes. So the, um, Motion passes, uh, eight in favor, none opposed. Thank you. Next on the agenda is to review and consider approval of the 2023 Affordable Housing Trust Fund Notice of Funding Opportunity. Uh, we thought we would just uh, go through that today and review and discuss it, but not discuss it uh, because there are so many people not here. We're absent four of our members, but we would really review it uh, because there have been some uh, real important changes. And Leah is going to walk us through that. So if you could share the screen and Leah, the floor is yours. Thank you, Ida. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I am going to stay off camera, but share my screen and walk through the NOFO draft with you all. Um, Madam Chair, could you please confirm that you are seeing the NOFO draft up on the screen? Yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, so um, I've made I've made several updates to the NOFO from the last round. Um, I've highlighted the um, updates in gray here. So starting just with the introduction, I added what the purpose of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund is. Um, we didn't have that in the NOFO anywhere previously. 
And then I added language that was discussed last month in the meeting that the applications will be accepted for these types of projects. Um, and then added specifically that we are targeting funds for community members living at or below 80% AMI. That also was not noted in the NOFO previously. I've updated the application deadline and submission um, criteria. I added a section about pre-application meetings, um, strongly encouraging new applicants to attend a pre-application meeting. Um, continuing or reoccurring applicants are welcome to attend a meeting if they like, but hopefully um, by strongly encouraging new applicants to have a meeting, then we'll be able to talk through some issues um, before we get to the application review. The application presentations are scheduled again this year as they happened previously. That will happen at the October 10th AHAB board meeting. Um, and again, the applicants will begin given five, approximately five minutes to present, and then the AHAB will be able to ask questions after that. The um, award recommendations will happen on November 14th at your meeting. In terms of eligibility, um, I updated using the language that was agreed upon in the retreat, the eligible pro uh, projects. Um, and then here's some additional content that I've added. So first I added um, a criteria uh, for eligibility regarding income qualification, uh, stating that um, recipients of the fund are required to income qualify every household they serve with trust fund investment, um, so that we're making sure that the programs and services are going to the folks that are, are intended. I added a section about source of income non-discrimination protection so that um, although we don't have a local source of income non-discrimination ordinance, this is one way that we can ensure that um, developments or programs using trust fund dollars are not discriminating against folks based on their source of income. I also added a section regarding adherence to Fair Housing Act, uh, which was missing previously. Um, here are the AHAB goals listed. That's um, been on the NOFO previously. But I did add the Lawrence City Strategic Plan indicators as they relate to affordable housing and homelessness um, as well, so that we will be asking applicants to not only state how they are alignment with the AHAB goals, but also the City Strategic Plan goals. In terms of the evaluation criteria, we started discussing this last month at the retreat. And um, if you recall, there were three prioritization criteria previously, a strong commitment to racial equity, expanding affordable housing to all Lawrence neighborhoods, and affordability remains in perpetuity. So we've maintained those three uh, prioritization categories, and I've just expanded in the text uh, with what those three categories might look like to us. Moving on to the new um, prioritization criteria, I've added alignment with different city plans. 
neighborhood engagement and community outreach. So that could either be for new developments, that could be neighborhood engagement, like with the neighborhood association for a new development, or for a social service um, support program could just be community outreach to make sure that services are equitably provided. Um, I added a section about a sustainability commitment um, for um, new developments uh, supporting green and sustainable design components. I've added a section about developer and organizational capacity and then community need. Um, just moving on really briefly, um, here is the new matrix. So um, I also included that as a separate attachment, but since it's in the NOFO, I'm just going to review it with you all here if that's okay. Um, there are two different matrices. So one is for the acquisition and development, and the other one is for housing support services, rehab, and modifications. And this is an attempt to try and more equitably rate and um, evaluate the different types of applications that the trust fund sees. Um, obviously, you know, a social service support isn't going to have site control. So that's just one example of why different matrices were needed. So on the acquisition and development one, the force, these are essentially the same as they have been but I added some additional criteria that we said that we're using for prioritization. So I have added in length of affordability, inability, location, and community need. Although previously um, uh, they were asked about those things, we didn't actually have it on the matrix. Moving on to this one, the top is the same. And then the new categories are trauma-informed services, community outreach and marketing, using a housing-first model, collaboration, and then community need. Um, this information is, it remain, has remained the same since the previous year. And then um, this is the timeline that we've already looked at. Um, so just taking a pause here, Edith, would you like to have the board discuss the NOFO or would you like me to move on to the application? Uh, I'd like to see if there are any questions for at this point, any questions for clarification or anything at this point? Madam Chair? Yes, Rob. Um, I have a question about the award prioritization items. Um, are, are those the same, Leah, as have previously been listed? The top three are the same. Um, the other ones were listed um, uh, in, like, in, sorry, they have been in discussion before with the AHAB, but they weren't on the NOFO as prioritization criteria. Um, how about the first one? Strong commitment to racial equity. Yes. That's new? No, these, that's remaining. These first three award prioritization criteria are the same as they have been. Okay. Okay. That answers my question. Thank you. Other questions? 
Yes, this is Shannon Aury at the Housing Authority. Hey, Leah. Um, uh, on the, I have a housing first. Um, because really that's a model for homeless individuals, generally speaking. And so I wonder, like, how will that affect uh, some of the repair like projects or Independence Inc's project uh, to provide accessibility when none of those will be utilizing a housing first model? Yeah, thank you for that question, Shannon. Um, so my thinking was that it would be in terms of um, like that no services are denied as um, as like a leverage to provide the housing modification that might be needed or the rehab that might be needed. Um, so that was my thinking of how a housing first model might be utilized for those two programs. But if it doesn't fit, I'm happy to take it out. I just wonder, I mean, housing first has all sorts of connotation. I mean, it has a definite HUD sort of definition, that kind of thing. Um, but I wonder if you can get, and I'm not, I'm, I don't know that as a board, we we know enough to evaluate whether it meets, uh, you know, the research-based housing first. But I yeah. do, but if we, I mean, is it possible to get to the same thing by saying, you know, sort of low barrier to entry, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Would others be in support of changing it to something like that? Low barrier to access to services or something like that. I think that having a bit more context about the housing first model, um, Jen and Ori uh, and others who are um, experts in that space of HUD and the disclosures of uh, and the um, the stipulations and also the data that represents the importance of, of housing first uh, model. Um, I think that it would be, I think it would be important to um, maybe place some kind of information that is subjective or just kind of really about Lawrence and needs that are, are, are found here in Douglas County. And if the housing first model is something that's very broad, maybe something that could kind of scaffold it down that meets the needs of our Lawrence and Douglas County residents would be helpful to add there. And I'm not really much of anything other than um, if the housing first model uh, makes sense for us to place inside uh, to give kind of a reference and context, I think it should should definitely stay. Um, but if we could just kind of expand on what the housing first model looks like for Douglas County, that would be helpful for me anyway. Thank you, Christina. This is Rebecca yeah. with tenants to homeowners. I, I think uh, Shannon, and Leah, your wording on lower barriers, like because the amount of barriers for people to use a service can be um, considered for any type of service, whether it targets homeless, you know, uh, those experiencing homelessness or not. So I think that's what you are getting at by housing first. 
Um, And that might be the better way to describe it. Then we don't have to have definitions of housing first, but we're actually defining what we're trying to evaluate, which is low, low barrier. Any other comments? I think, Leah, you got the gist of that, right? You get the idea. Yeah, thank you so much for your feedback on that. We'll get that updated. Other questions, comments? This is Rebecca again um, with Tenants to Homeowners. One question, Leah, and and I'm not worried about it, but just a thought. Um, Collaboration isn't included um, in the development category, but I I think we always look at that. So I don't know if there's a way to add that. I know the challenge is with development, there's these other things we want to look at that are very specific to development. So... Um, maybe even organizational experience or financial capacity and collaboration might be part of one of those, just so that because in the other group it's considered, and I think that is a really important thing we like to look at, is this a project that's leveraging and using other collaborative partners? But if other, other people's thoughts would be questioned or wanted on that. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. That's a good recommendation to other board members. Have a thought about where that would go or adding that to the development matrix. I could even see it maybe fitting under community need. I don't know if that's a stretch, but... Um, this is Christina Gentry, member who has received public housing assistance. Um, and this is just a, you know, thought. Could it be under maybe place that's somewhere in sustainability component? Um, and I'm thinking, and I hear my thoughts with that. It's just because we have to continuously be in connection with community, um, and these are the efforts that we're placing in forth to make sure that the organizational levels and commitments are are being heard and listened to, but also from our collectives. So, um, in order for it to be sustainable, I think collective component, our collective input, is definitely needed. Um, so maybe this is a part that goes. Um, part of that component that could receive some of that information um, that Rebecca was speaking of. Something that speaks to um, this lasting and, and continuing to last four or five years and our community collectives being an important impact that being uh, sustainable. Uh, I'm going to suggest that we let Leah see if she can find a place because we're going to look at this again before we actually finalize it. Okay. Um, Go ahead, Leah. Why don't you move on to the next section? Okay. Madam Chair, I have, um, I'd like to revisit an issue before we move on. Okay. And this is, this is old language, not new language. Um, And I, Mentally, I've bumped into this issue before, but I've never asked the question out loud, and I'll take a moment today to do it. Um, I'm looking at the acquisition and development matrix, and it lines up very well with, with our priorities. And the first one is on, on uh, or the second one on equity and inclusion. 
talks about project prioritizes racial equity and inclusion and takes meaningful action to decrease disparities in homelessness and affordable housing by race, ethnicity, sex, gender, et cetera. If we had a private developer come to us with, say, a that they wanted to build as affordable housing and they were asking for financial support, what would we expect to provide a private developer to provide us in responding to that question or that priority need? And we just recently had that happen when the gentleman that had the kind of the stranded lots or the stranded land in southeast city of Lawrence that needs a street before he can put in what 24 lots or something. Now he left that completely blank on his application. Didn't know what to do. Well, what what do we expect a private developer to put in that state? So this is Shannon Howry. Uh, if I were evaluating that, I would want to know, okay, of the 25 homes that he built prior, how many of those were sold or rented to someone in the BIPOC community? Okay. And that's the way the rest of us are going to report on is, is based on the percentage of the units we control and, and how many of those, right, um, you know, are you know, house somebody in that community. So that, I mean, I don't think private developers should be that much different. I, I don't I don't think they see the marketplace much different than, than you either, but I don't know that they necessarily collect that data either. That may be the case, Ron, and that's one of the... <laughs> Oh, say that. And, uh, you know, that's one of the components of getting grant money uh, or a subsidy is that then there are requirements for reporting that type of information that is just really standard. And I, I've raised this issue in the past and I'll raise it again. We have a model that works great for not-for-profit organizations that are all read, readily federally compliant. Our model sucks for a private developer to participate in coming to ask us to help subsidize the cost of new construction so that they can put something in the marketplace or even to build something for the land trust at, at a, an affordable rate. And, I, you know, these are all things I believe in. I would hope that any developer we worked with for-profit or not-for-profit would believe and prioritize the same things. Um, but for-profit developers, they probably don't even keep track in any official way of uh, the ethnicity uh, or minority status of the people that they're selling properties to. Ron, I, I think that's a good point. This is Rebecca with Tenants to Homeowners, but I also think you you stated in your your thought process there one way around that as well, which is collaboration with other agencies that do in the project. So that's another way they could, you know, present that they're doing that. And you know, I've been a big that. advocate of that and encourage every private developer 
I've talked to to go talk to you. Yeah. And others that are on the advisory board. And we've gotten a lot of those discussions started. So I, you know, that's another way. Plus, uh, you know, say they don't, they don't have data on that. Um, they could also have a commitment to a policy that, you know, in the sales that they will make that, you know, they'll be ensure that they won't discriminate or, you know, that they're just thinking about it. I think there are some ways that, that they can show that they're thinking about that, where the developer that did the application, uh, you know, they can't guarantee because housing law doesn't allow us to say we're going to do 10 units for BIPOC population. So no one's going to be able to do that. But there's all these more subtle ways that we can show that as a developer, we're going to make sure we're not being exclusive in any way. And I think that they can learn that these discussions in this, like Leah said, having to apply for these funds, make sure we're thinking about that as a community in these developments. Well, this is Shannon Aury, uh from the Housing Authority. One of the other things that I've thought about, and I'll raise it here, and and we'll probably need to discuss it later. But but marketing these units, right? Any but any marketing. I mean, it's very hard to figure out a way to market. But but um, I do think there are some agencies in town that we could just say, are you committed to providing? notice to you know some agencies that um might be able to disseminate this information better to the bipoc community than just the journal world is or whatever online ad that you're putting out there and if they're willing to commit to that kind of thing so um which i you know i've kind of been trying to do that informally with our apps and different things but i'd really like to to see us encourage the a little broader dissemination of availability of all the things we do this is sarah waters with ku i Kind of to, I agree with Shannon. I also think though, to Ron's point, I, I'm wondering if the comments earlier about the collaboration between agencies, it doesn't feel right to put it in sustainability to me. I wonder if it needs to go under equity and inclusion um, because that's where the developer would be able to comment. Um, I think, or to see that that's where they can get, you know, the points in this. And it's a 15 point category, which is big. Um, so maybe we put that there. I also think that points are important in this process, but we all know that just because you get the top points doesn't mean that we're not going to fund you anyway. Um, and so we certainly want a matrix that reflects where our priorities are, and this, this does. Um, but that's where some of the developer pieces kind of have to ebb and flow, which I know gets frustrating in our conversations because they don't get as many points, but we want to fund them anyway. Um, so. This is Christina Gentry. Thank you. Um, this is a member who has received public housing. I believe that's right. Um, and maybe this is not a sustainability component uh, to place um, what we were talking about earlier as far as our comments of where to place things. And Leah, I'll let you um, figure that out. We'll come back to that later and not to keep this continuing. Um, but to your point, Ron, I think affordable housing um, and, and it's someone who's applying and an applicant uh, should know that, you know, affordable housing is a sort of Restorative justice issue. Um, and so I think we were giving great examples 
from some of our applicants. Um, one, that, one that I remember was a racial equity checklist that was provided by one of the applicants during their presentation. Um, and so th that was a little bit of what we see about going the above and beyond what we're asking for as far as when it comes down to racial equity and um, inclusion. So I think that that's a prime example um, from what that presentation, maybe we can look at back at that presentation and see what was done, done um, use that racial equity checklist as a reference uh, for others who are interested in applying, knowing that uh, as we're talking about affordable housing and, and as you're applying for these grant dollars and these tax dollars, that they keep in mind that this is a restorative issue and a restorative justice issue as well. And, and this point is very important to continue to make those, those real poignant understandings of death, how they reflect on our demographics. And any person who's wanting to come and apply has to have that knowledge and, and go forth and, and try to make sure that they continue to dive in and ask those questions of themselves of who are we serving and, and what is the benefit to the community? How can we serve more? Uh, especially as we're looking to place more uh, affordable housing opportunities in Douglas County. Uh, so these are all great talking points and, and discussion I'm sure will continue another point too. Thank you, Christina. And uh, thank you, Ron, for bringing this up because it really does move um, especially the private sector into um, beginning to, and us into helping to begin, helping us to begin to think about how we might uh, pivot in a little different direction uh, with these dollars and the private sector and bringing, um, moving us forward in different directions. So important question, but I am gonna ask Leah to move us, move us on. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Before I move on, I just wanted to um, acknowledge that Trent has had uh, unmiked. Trent, did you want to say something? That's okay. Uh, yeah, I'll just try to keep it brief. I just would, would uh, sorry, Trent Santee, the Lawrence Home Builders Rep. I just would like more clarification to Ron's point, I guess, on, on how to quantify this stuff, because obviously it's very sensitive and it's stuff that the, the private developers and the market rate people they're essentially just told to kind of, you know, you're not supposed to participate, you're not supposed to quantify it. You're supposed to just build your property and sell it to whoever comes to buy it. And so I think that to Ron's point, it is something that we don't actively try to steer the, the you know, the demographic in any direction because we're, we're essentially trying to stay neutral, if that makes sense. I think this is going to be one of the topics uh, that we're going to have a, we hope to have a work group on. And I think this is a really important piece because it's going to need some focused conversation and focused work. And it's a really good topic for a work group. Thanks, Trent. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Leah. Thank you, Ida. Um, I'm just going to review the application. Um, briefly, sorry, I need to get those bookmarks updated. Not a whole lot of changes in the application. Um, so I'm just going to move through it kind of quickly. The application checklist is the same. The top of the application is the same. Um, I've updated the project eligibility. Um, I added a project summary 
because it wasn't until we were in review last year that I realized we had failed to have a project summary, a question, so I added that. Um, percentage AMI, this is all the same. This is the same. Um, here are questions about uh, racial equity and uh, fair housing. So this has been on the application the previous two years. The one thing that I changed is that there previously was a question related to COVID and how the project would respond to COVID. And I removed the COVID question. Um, the revenue expense um, tables are the same. Really, the major difference in the application this year is that there are just two separate application, um, project-specific applications, again, to mirror the matrix. One is for acquisition and or development, and the other is for housing support services, home repair, and accessibility modifications. The questions are essentially the same. I made sure that if we were um, grading it on the matrix, if there was a question about it on the application. So for example, I've added a question about uh, neighborhood engagement and outreach, about um, energy efficiency on the development one. Um, and for the support service one, I added a question, really, I guess to Shannon's point about housing first, uh, really was my attempt. So here's the question related to it, requirements for program entry, um, et cetera. So it's pretty much the same. It mirrors the matrix we just reviewed and uh, corresponds with the NOFO. Thank you, Leah. Are there any questions on the application itself? Madam Chair? Yes, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Leah, I have a question regarding the, regarding the breaking out of the um, housing services component. I, I'm, I'm interested, why did you take, why did you take the accessibility um, and, and modifications to the house itself? Why did you put that in a category uh, with housing services that are the supportive services. I, I, and the reason I ask the question is because I view um, uh, adaptability issues, accessibility issues, uh, home improvements like weatherization, that type of thing. I view all of those as capital investments. And you've mixed a capital investment, which is uh, adding to the value of an existing uh, capital asset. You, you've put that into the same category as supportive services. I, I don't think all services are equal. I think we've got two categories of services here. And, and I, think, I think putting the physical improvements to property in the same, calling those services in the same category with a service that is consumed the day it's provided. And if you want to continue it year after year, you have to continue to fund it year after year. I see those as apples and oranges and, and, and shouldn't necessarily be in the same category. Thank you for that feedback, Ron. 
um, my thinking was, well, I had considered doing capital and non-capital. Um, the reason that I went with this as, as the group um, is because the types of rehab and modifications um, that are being funded, that have been funded, that uh, will likely potentially apply are social services. So they are modifications and rehabs, but they're through social service nonprofits providing the service as a social service. Um, so that was my thinking. It also mirrors what some other communities do in terms of how they group things together. Um, it, it doesn't require, you know, new construction. It doesn't require a new lot, all of that sort of um, stuff. So um, I'm not wedded to this at all. So if the board, you know, if it doesn't make sense, I'm happy to revise it. <laughs> I've raised the question. I, I'm, I'm not trying to change it. I'm just, I have asked why. And okay. All right. Rebecca, with tenants to homeowners too, I do think, Ron, there is kind of when looking apples to apples and oranges to oranges, you make a good point of a difference, but you also find that um, price wise, kind of what investment we make in those smaller capital improvements tends to be so much smaller and not creating a new unit of housing. So I, I can see how some communities do put those together in a way of, you know, what kind of investment is put in per household, I think, is, you know, just functionally makes some sense in, in separating those two kind of asset programs. Thank you. Okay, Ron seems satisfied with the answer. <laughs> so, um, anything else on the application? Great. Uh, we're not going to vote to accept this or anything at this meeting. You can sit on it another month. There are a few people who are not here, and uh, we'll finalize this at our next meeting. I want to say thank you, Leah. You've done a lot of work on this, uh, especially breaking out the two matrices. So thank you very much. And we'll look at it one more time. Uh, the next thing on the agenda is um, to elect, uh, we have a position on the Land Development Code Update Steering Committee. Uh, so the AHAB has a position on that. Uh, so we had the opportunity to uh, elect a person to serve on that uh, from AHAB. So is there anyone that's interested in serving on that um, steering committee from AHAB? We could take nominations, you can nominate yourself, uh, we can nominate you. Uh, is there anyone that's interested in serving on that position? We can take a couple nominations and then we can decide. And, um, so anybody interested? Uh, yeah, Trent Santee with the Home Builders. Uh, I'm interested in being on it. Trent is interested. Anyone else? This is Christina Gentry, member who's received public housing. I'm also interested in serving in that capacity. Anyone else? Ron is interested in serving on that also. Okay, we have three people interested in serving on that committee. So when we have a uh, full uh, full um, Compliment our board members. We'll um, we'll have a runoff election. Prepare your 
prepare your nomination speeches. So we'll vote on this, uh, um, uh, find a way to make a decision on this at our next meeting. So thank you all for stepping up. Okay, our next thing on the agenda is to, um, we have a presentation from the Douglas County Housing Authority. Shannon. I should unmute to be able to do that. Um, Leah, are you gonna put the PowerPoint up? Oh, sure, give me one second. So while she's getting that, I'm giving an overview uh, basically of all the things the Housing Authority does and a little bit of the history. Um, and then I wanna make sure I, that if anyone has any questions about what we do or how we do it, um, that you can you can ask me then. Okay, uh, Leah, will you move the slide? I'd be happy to. Great. Okay, so the Lawrence Housing Authority was created in 1968. And um, I really think we share a lot with this group of ladies um, in the sense that uh, these women and the rest of the League of Women Voters did a study um, on poverty in Douglas County. And then they did a second study just on housing. Um, and they uh, determined that there was an excessive amount of inhabitable property. Next slide. And so they petitioned the city to, to form the housing authority. Um, and really, uh, the how quickly this worked, it was amazing. But the housing authority then was right after that, that housing study. And you can see the percentage there of substandard housing. Um, and a lot of that had to do with outdoor plumbing, et cetera. Um, and so the housing authority was formed. Go ahead. Um, and they started building property. Um, the first project was Edgewood Homes. Uh, my office is located in the middle of this development. It's 130 units for families. It has one, two, three, and some four bedroom units. Next slide. And then in 71-72, we built Babcock, we finished Edgewood and built Babcock Place. These are both public housing properties. That means the we received the funding from HUD to build these properties. And every year the housing authority receives subsidy to, to pay for the operation of these properties and capital funds. Go ahead. Um, in 1983, we started our voucher program and the Douglas County Housing Authority was formed because that was where the first vouchers were issued through. Next. <clears throat> From 84 to 92, we built scattered sites because the thought process really changed. And this is the concentration of poverty conversation we have many times where uh, the, you'll see that the first properties we built were 130 units in one place and 120 units. And then as the, when the 80s uh, came around, we started building scattered sites. So the housing authority owns 
94 scattered sites, both single family duplexes and triplexes at various different locations, but all of them are east of Iowa. <clears throat> and then two things happened in the early 2000s. One, we merged the Lawrence Housing Authority and the Douglas County Housing Authority, and we became one joint um, housing authority. We are an independent agency of the city and county. Our board, uh, three members are appointed by the city and two are by the county. And then Lawrence um, responded to uh, a what used to be a NOFO, now is a NOFA, I guess, um, to become a moving to work agency. Next, what, what is moving to work? Moving to work basically gives the housing authority the ability to design its own program. Um, uh, and it allows us, whoop, I don't know where, <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. Um, and it has allowed us to keep our reserve. So for every administrative efficiency that we get, we get to keep the reserves. And with that reserves, we've had the ability to add additional housing. Next slide. This is one of the projects that we purchased. It's 58 units. It's called Clinton Place. It's on Iowa and 23rd Street. Um, it's 58 units of senior housing. Um, we bought it for a little over a million and we put another million in to upgrade it. And um, this project um, is currently fully occupied. <clears throat> so um, the Lawrence is MTW, we've, we have a combined program. So we've combined our public housing and our section eight. A standard housing authority does not have the flexibility to do that. Um, that way we offer every form of housing that we have. People don't have to double apply to both lists. Um, and we offer every form of housing to whoever's next on the top of the wait list. Um, we have an alternative rent structure um, which is set based on a work requirement. We have all, um, all non-elderly, non-disabled participants are required to be work, working or moving towards work. So any sort of educational, um, uh, uh, any educational training or a class or degree program would count towards that. Next slide. So being able to keep our reserves, we've expanded our housing, um, as you can see, by uh, 82 new affordable housing units um, over the time period. Plus, we are currently working on a Clinton Place expansion. This is to, there's extra excess property um, on that uh, project that I indicated we just that we purchased with our MTW funds. And we have room to place another 32 units. We've just gotten the zoning, um, the rezoning, so we can actually put those units on there. And so we are in the process of, of locating funding to add these 32 units. Uh, next. So what's our primary role? Basically a low income uh, housing provider. We have over 70% of everybody we assist is at or below 30% of area median income. Um, we own about 445 units total that we run, um, have a full maintenance department that takes care of all those properties. Um, and we are 99% leased in 
all of those units. Um, we also provide a lot of vouchers. And one thing that is becoming an issue in the community, you will start to hear about it, is that um, really a, a voucher is, is only as good as a landlord that will accept it. Um, and so while we have over 800 vouchers, um, we, are we are seeing uh, difficulty in those lease up times. Um, so people are having difficulty finding units uh, to utilize a voucher. Next slide. These are um, programs we have targeted to homeless uh, populations. We have the home grant, the city home grant, which is the one that uh, this body uh, makes a recommendation to the city commission on. We, we have, depending on the size of the families, 15 to 20 vouchers used in that program. We have a state home grant that we partner with Burt Nash um, to house individuals with mental health issues. Um, also, this is the one that we come to this board for the funding recommendation, which is New Horizons. This was a pro this was a project that the Housing Authority was asked um, to start by the city and the county to house families that were uh, guests of the shelter, and so we've been doing that since about 2016. Then we have uh, HUD funded vouchers that are for um, that are directed. Uh, to our homeless population. Those are in, in uh, June of 2021, we, we were awarded 31 emergency housing vouchers. <clears throat> and then we've had VASH vouchers, which are strictly for veterans, homeless veterans. And we have 45 of those vouchers. And again, we're always about 99% um, utilized in in the VASH vouchers, we, we are fully issued in the EHVs, but we still have six families looking for units. Next slide. Um, the, this is the other thing about being an MTW. We've also been able to create vouchers that we fund ourselves um, for some special populations because um, our wait list averages between 18 months and two years for us to get to people, um, to provide housing to them. And so we have created these vouchers for people who really just can't wait. Um, so we have the reentry that we partner with the sheriff's department. Um, we have safe housing vouchers, uh, which are for survivors um, of domestic violence. And we partner with Family Promise and we and the Willow to try to house people more quickly who suffer that um, situation. Then we have Next Step, which is for youth aging out of foster care. Um, and then finally move on. And these are individuals who are exiting permanent supportive housing um, because they no longer require that level of service. And we provide vouchers for that population. Next slide. And so this is basically all the kinds of vouchers. And if we were got to be in person, I have a copy of our um, annual report, which hopefully someday I'll get to hand each of you, but this is basically the shorthand way that we show all the different kinds of housing we have and who we house in our, in our occupancy, meaning how, how utilized are we? And so you see um, really the, the, we're 
almost everything we have, which is about 1,300 units of housing between units we own and vouchers. We, we are usually always in the 98 to 99% occupied. Um, and so we have way more demand than we ever have supply. Um, but I, and so that is the end of my presentation um, to just give you the big 30,000 view of all the things that we do. Thank you, Shannon. That's really helpful. Um, questions for Shannon? This is Rebecca with Tenants to Homeowners. Shannon, what, what would you say your biggest challenges and how can we help? <laughs> um, you know, that I mean, this is where, um, like, we have a supply problem, right? We don't, we don't have a demand problem. We have a supply problem. And I'm in favor of any tax credit, any, pro and, you know, and I think I've said this before, it's if, if the more of, of the things that we can fund and get units that will accept vouchers, the the better off we are because HUD no longer provides funding to build public housing. Really the only way to build public housing is to locally fund it or to do a low income tax credit project or some other type of project. And other and and otherwise, <clears throat> you know, the, the Trent and I mean everybody can appreciate that you cannot rent to individuals who are at 30% of area median income and only charge them 30% of their income to pay for their housing, right? Which is which is what the, the number is to not be burdened by your housing costs. So 30% of your income, we have more than 70% of our people at 30% or below. You cannot build a unit and make a pro forma work with that level of rent. You, It's just impossible. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. Um, it's not enough money to cover what it costs. And so every unit we, I mean, while I appreciate and will and ask for and want, you know, a small portion of the funds that we make recommendations for to go to programming and those type of things. I, I also support like, like I know many people on this board do is any unit I can get on the ground that will take a section eight voucher. It is critical for us. It's critical. I currently we have 64 vouchers. People are holding a voucher that we've issued to them and they're having trouble finding a place to use it. And so that's an unheard of number for us. We don't normally have that many people, what we call on the street with a voucher, but with no place to use it. Um, and so we've lost about five major landlords recently. Some of it is due to um, outside entities purchasing big apartment complexes, deciding not to accept vouchers anymore. And, and that is becoming a more common problem for us. Wow. Other questions, comments for Shannon? Uh, Ron. Thank you, Madam Chair. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Shannon, a little bit different question. What would be the best way for us to increase your capacity? 
<laughs> well, okay, we have to build units, right? I mean, right. we have to build units. Um, and and as I say, I don't care if I build them. I'm happy to work with anybody and build them. I'm also happy to issue a voucher that somebody else builds them. I mean, one of the things that would really help is is that if you get money from us, you have to take a voucher and you have to take a voucher for an extended period of time, not a particular tenant, but that you will accept vouchers. Um, you, mean, you mean when you say from us, you mean they have money, trust yeah. fund money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm all in favor of that. And I mean, don't don't we have Leah? Don't we have language something to that effect in in our application? I thought this is Leah Roslin, affordable housing administrator. We just added that this year, so now we do. We didn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and the other thing is, if you know of apartment complexes, we're happy. We have we also received a grant um, from the state. It's an ESG grant, and Danny helped us get this. Where we've we've we have a landlord liaison, and we're doing a lot of outreach to landlords. But um, if you know of landlords and could give us a contact that we could try to recruit, because we're really trying to beef up that side of our operation to to make it easier for landlords to accept vouchers and more palatable for them because like everything we do hud has some certain strings attached and so you have to do inspections and there are certain things that you have to do for us to be able to to pay uh, right but i mean the other thing that i should have put in this presentation that i don't we uh, we have our our operations about ten million dollars a year, almost six million of that we we pay to private landlords for rental assistance. So so we're a big economic generator of at least rental payments um, in town that we pay to private landlords, um, <clears throat> and we really you know any I, I I am accepting any ideas to help with those relationships because that's really key. Um, to us being successful and able to use these vouchers. Thank you. Shannon, how many staff do you have? We have 40. Okay. And, and 12 of those are maintenance because we do our own maintenance. Yeah. Any other questions? Thank you. I don't know about the rest of you, but I find it really helpful when we hear from the agencies that we are uh, partners with. Everybody assumes we know all about them, but uh, we don't know as much as we think we do. So thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Uh, the next thing on our agenda is um, work groups. We had talked about uh, having work groups that would do some focused uh, work on a task this isn't committing your life to anything. Uh, the idea is that you agree to serve on a work group, you do the task, you bring a recommendation back to the board. Um, maybe they'll tweak it a little bit, uh, but we get something done, the task group is done, the work group is done. Then there's another work group perhaps, and you bring do some focus work on it and bring it back to the board. So that maybe we'll move things along uh, in a little more expeditious manner that way. We thought we would start with uh, two work groups. Uh, one would be a policy work group, and one would be a community outreach and engagement work group. And uh, you don't 
we're not going to force you to serve on a work group, <laughs> uh, which of course we couldn't anyway. Uh, but uh, we want to encourage people who are interested in these work groups uh, to think about one that you might be interested in serving on. And um, we'll ask for volunteers. You can send Leah an, an email about uh, which work group you might be interested in. Policy is a big piece. And so uh, Leah and Monty and I might think about a certain area of policy that we think is really important right now um, for a work group or a task group to start thinking about. The same for community outreach and engagement. So um, we might communicate with you by email and think about which ones you might be interested in serving on so we can get those started. Questions about that, comments, feedback you want us to hear right now, please, Ron. Sure. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative, if we have a recommendation for a specific policy area to look at, should we forward that to you and Monty? Sure, and you can say it right now. Do you have one? I'd really like to see us follow up and look more deeply at the possibility of adding the ability to build a duplex by right on residential single family home lots at 7,000 foot and more and uh, bring a recommendation, have, have a, one of the work groups bring a recommendation to full AHAB for their consideration on that issue. Well, that can go in the minutes now, so that will be one. Anybody else want to add something right now? Uh, no, I just had a question, Edith. This is Christina Gentry. Um, will the policy work groups be collaborating with other members or other boards of Douglas County, so sustainability board or any other boards? Will they be collaborating up to work together, or is just strictly AHAB members on these on these uh, work groups? You know, we're just starting these. I think we're gonna actually. It's sort of uh, building the plane as we go. Uh, the idea is really to get something done quickly. Uh, and if we need to reach out to another board, I know that task group will do that. So I'm, I'm not going to say this is what the rules are, how we're going to operate. That task group will do what they need to do. Other questions? Okay. Um, and I'm gonna rely on Leah if she doesn't hear anything in the next week or so to send out a like gentle reminder. Uh, Leah, you have any, we're gonna actually, since Leah's not really feeling well, we're gonna skip the staff updates, except to say, did you read in the paper about what the city commission approved land? Uh, um, Rebecca, you wanna say just a word about that? Uh, yeah, this is Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners, and the City Commission did approve the donation of the four acres that is surrounded by a 10-acre 10-acre lot that we were fortunately donated um, a few years ago. Um, but they're really the way it was cut up. It would be very hard to have a, a bigger kind of development without that piece from the city. So we are very grateful that they are considering that 
we now have a 14 acre unit on the far west side of Lawrence, which is certainly an area and neighborhoods that we don't have a lot of affordable housing. So we're excited to do a bigger development. We're looking at right now having ownership as well as rental. Um, but again, this is all in early development plans and um you all will be kept updated on as we move along. We're, we're going to try to get tax credit financing for the rentals um, because that is just the biggest, best way to get financing to be able to subsidize those units um, to serve, you know, the the most the biggest spectrum of incomes um, so that there is units to devoted to very low incomes all the way up to moderate incomes so that there's a good mixture. And I think that's our biggest challenge. If anyone has good ideas on how do you make sure that mixture is a great neighborhood, right? Because we all know with costs, I think the challenge is going to be we can't build scattered sites in a costly manner. And we want to provide good community for people too. Um, especially on the West side where there hasn't maybe been as many people represented there with lower incomes that you want to create a, a welcoming, inclusive neighborhood. But the challenge is always going to be, how do we do that mixture well? So I will, any ideas and from any of you as we continue to develop this project is, is asked for and, and will, will be much appreciated. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. And I see Jeff has unmuted. Uh, so Jeff, you have some staff updates or things you need for us to hear. Uh, just one, Madam Chair. We did, when the last item, we didn't have an opportunity for public comment and just wanted to make sure that we made space for public comment on that item or any of the other items that were ahead of it. Um, so just wanted to make space for that if, if any member of the public would like to provide comment on the Housing Authority presentation or the items ahead of that one. Oh, my apologies. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yes, public comment. <laughs> Hearing none or seeing no one? We can confirm there is no one in the room. I'm not seeing any hands raised on Zoom at this point. Thank you, Jeff. Is there anything else that we need to hear or discuss for today? I wanna to note we're very early to adjourn. And I wanna note uh, the people who are not here, I just wanna say they must take up a lot of space in our meetings. <laughs> uh, no further uh, discussion for today. Um, there's nothing else that we need to discuss for today. I guess I learned last time we don't need to take a vote to adjourn. So um, the meeting is adjourned. Without objection, see you next month. Thanks, Eden. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. Thank you.